good to see you. I'm so glad that all of you are here today. Um, we're doing this series called Living Out Loud, where we're exploring the book of Ephesians over the summer. And um, a couple weeks ago, we learned that Paul, this early church missionary, um, founded the church and um, uh, in Ephesus, this city kind of on the uh, western edge of Turkey, what we call Turkey now, at the time it was called Asia. And um, he did it with a couple named Priscilla and Aquila, which are names that you should probably know. Uh, sometime I'm going to do a character study on the, on the two of them because it's a fascinating um, read when you start putting together their entire story. Um, and then Paul actually came back after a little while, and he spent two years with the disciples in Ephesus, training them. And uh, there's a part of me I'm wondering, like, I wonder what that was like, you know, hanging out with Paul for a couple of years, you know, learning from him. And that investment that he made paid off big because the church in Ephesus was very influential for decades. Uh, it was the center in much of the Mediterranean world for uh, not only missionary activity, but also of also training and, uh, and good theology. And what's interesting is that he wrote this letter to the Ephesians six years after he left. So he was there for two years, then he left for a while. He wrote a couple of letters to the pastor that he left there. His name was Timothy. We know them by First and Second Timothy. He was the pastor in Ephesus, and so as Paul was writing to Timothy, some of that information got disseminated to the church, I'm sure. But then at some point, he felt it necessary to go ahead and write this letter to the church in Ephesus, six years after he left. And it's very clear that Paul has a great deal of affection for this church. And one of the things I would recommend that you do during the summer is to go ahead and just read through the letter. Okay, and it won't take you long. I promise you can probably sit down and read through it in an hour, hour and a half. But just get a feel for that letter, and you can really tell that Paul loves them. He loves everything about them, and why not? He spent two years with them. I mean, he really spent some time. He's gotten to know this congregation, this group of people. And so when we, when we read his letter, it just comes through. It comes through. But interestingly enough, he's still teaching them. And it's, it's, it's a, I think, a, I don't know if it's a human trait or if it's, if it's a teacher's trait, that once you start teaching someone, you're always kind of teaching them, even if they've surpassed you. You still, you know, have this propensity to teach them. And we see that in this, in this letter, that not only does he love them and he's encouraging them, but he's also still teaching them. And so I want to return to the letter today. We're going to be in chapter 1. So if you have a Bible with you, if you have a Bible app, I'm going to be at the end of chapter 1. Now, let me hit the pause button here very quickly. There's a whole section of chapter 1 that I am deliberately skipping over. I am not afraid of it. I'm going to tell you that right now. But that material is better suited for a classroom where we can have some discussion than it is for a sermon on Sunday morning, okay? So that's, if you're wondering, going, what's, what's he doing skipping around? Well, partially because I can. And secondly, I want to make sure that if we tackle that, that uh, material at some point, that we do it in an environment where it makes sense for us to actually have a dialogue. But I want to pick the story up. I want to pick this letter up again at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Here it is. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. 
remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Now, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in here, and I think sometimes Paul just goes off, especially when he's talking about the glory of God and, and Jesus and that, uh, all of that. There's just this part of him that just kind of explodes whenever he starts talking about that. In seminary, when they train preachers, they, they actually teach us to be aware of places where God is messing with you. And that's the technical term, messing with you, right? If there is a, a part of the scripture that you're reading through and there's something that grabs your attention or if there's something that kind of jumps out with you or you find yourself resonating with, they tell you it's very good for you to pause and kind of camp there for a few moments because there's a very good chance that, Paul, that, uh, that God is trying to speak to you. And I would say this is not just for preachers, that if in your own Bible study, if you are spending time in the word and that happens to you, stop, even if it doesn't make any sense. Take a moment, write down whatever it is that, that word or phrase or sentence or passage, whatever it is, write it down in a journal, write it down on a sticky note, whatever it is, because there's a very, very good chance that God is trying to speak to you about it. So keep that in mind. And so when I read um, verse 18 and 19, my, my attention is arrested and he, and he writes very simply, um, let me go back to it, you can see it here. I pray that you may know the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance, and the greatness of his power for us who believe. The hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance, and the greatness of his power for us who believe. And I read through that, and there's this part of me that goes, I want that. I want that. I want that hope. I want that riches, which has nothing to do with money, by the way. And I want that power. And I don't want it just for me. I want it for Thrive Church. And my question is, can we be characterized by hope, by riches, by power? Can we be characterized by that? And then even more so, and this is where it gets kind of the rubber meets the road. Just, can I personally be characterized by that? There is something arresting about those three things, about hope and about riches and about power that I, I just find very compelling because I wonder if the church, and I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the church in general. I wonder if the church is missing out. We read these amazing stories in the Bible 
about people doing extraordinary things and God empowering them to do that. And then we reflect and we don't see it in our own lives. And by the way, there is a whole generation of Christians who are leaving the church because of that reason. Because they read about this stuff in the Bible and go, where is that today? They wonder, you know what, so do I. I wonder that too. Hope and riches and power, and they see that in the text, and they don't don't see it in life. And I wonder if somehow we're losing our grip on real faith. Because if we think about it, just, just on a national level, Politically, we're in one of the most divided um, part, parts of history that, that I can certainly recall. I mean, it's a, it's a dramatic division, and it seems like it, the polar opposites keep pulling away from each other and getting further and farther apart. And I feel like as Christians, we've abandoned something, something important here, and somehow we hope that our government and court systems can fix our problems. But I want you to hear something. Don't, don't walk away from this thinking that there is no place for representative government and a judicial system. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I am suggesting to you as followers of Jesus, Jesus told you, you are salt and light. You see what I'm saying? You are salt and light. Not the court system, not your, not your representative in Washington or in Oklahoma City or wherever. That's not where it is. You are salt and light. And I think we forget that. We also see the circumstances of others around us. And they're going through some stuff. Just this week, I had two friends. Not the same couple, not the same, just two separate friends. Go through some stuff. And I empathize with them. But I got to be honest, there's this part of me, deep down inside, I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not going through that. Have you ever been there? God bless them, but wow, I'm, I'm glad that that's, that's not something I have to deal with. I'm glad it's not our problem when we see that. And yet, it's, I know that it's really healthy for us to have boundaries and separation from other. I get all of that. But Paul taught another church, Galatians, if you want to know, that we're supposed to carry one another's burdens. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens. That means we relieve them of that for a while, carry it for them so that they don't have to. And that's the love that Jesus commanded us to do. And even personally, we all have private stress that can be overwhelming. Can we just be honest about it? We all have it. If you don't, Well, just wait, or you're lying to yourself. Could be. The problem is it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in that personal overwhelm, that personal stress. And what happens is it develops a certain amount of scarcity thinking, and we focus on the things that we don't have. Have you ever done this? Yeah. And certainly we have to take responsibility and deal with our own issues. I am not suggesting that we are... Um, you know, walking away from that responsibility. But Paul writes to a different church, the Philippians, that we are to look to the interest of others, not just to the interest of ourselves. And sometimes when you're in the midst of overwhelm and you just can't handle anymore because of all of the stress, the best thing you can do is give up yourself. I know that's the hardest thing in the world to do, but what it does is it makes you grateful for the things that you do have. Because even though I don't have everything, I do have something to give to this person who desperately needs it right now. 
And that's the economy of God. And so Paul taught us to look to the interests, not just of ourselves, but to others and build some gratitude. And so the question for us, I think, is how might we live out loud? How might we live hope and riches and power out loud and avoid things like divisiveness and apathy and scarcity mindset? How do we actually do that? Because one of the things that we want to do is we don't want to just read it in a vacuum. We want to say, okay, if this is for real, then how is it that we can actually do this and not just apply it to our own life, but actually live this stuff out? We want to live it out loud, right? And I think to do that, we have to work our, our way backwards in the text. So we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 1, and I want you to see a couple of things because I think this is important. First and foremost, Paul prays something unique. Um, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and the incomparably great power for the, us who believe. So this idea of hope and riches and power comes from something. What? It's a heart issue. It is a heart issue to have that kind of hope. To know these things, it takes the illumination of the heart. Do you see that? And this is only a part of Paul's prayer because he actually starts in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. God may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So let's work our way backwards on this. It says, so that you may know hope and riches and power, and you get that from being enlightened, your heart being enlightened. And then he says that you can know him better because you have this spirit of of wisdom and revelation. Do you see the progression? There is movement here in the text, and there's a reason for it. Because one thing leads to another. One follows the other. You can't see the hope and the riches and the power without enlightenment, and you cannot have the enlightenment without what? Knowledge of God. Now, here's something really interesting, and I think this is important for us today. This word, know in Greek is unusual. It carries with it a certain connotation. And it's uh, not necessarily just the idea of knowing something, but rather recognize. Give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may recognize God. Think about that for a moment. This is different. This is a little more nuanced. Paul simply wants us to recognize when God is working. Now the progression looks a little bit different, doesn't it? We have things like hope and riches and power from an enlightened heart that comes from this recognition of God's movement. And you do that with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. See this progression? 
So it's not just knowledge of God so that you would know him better, but you would even just recognize him to begin with. And I think this is the, the key to all of this because when we recognize God is at work, it opens us up to all kinds of possibility. So it illuminates us to something new. And when we recognize God working in our own lives, it's easier to point out his activity in others. I've had this happen to me multiple times where I've been talking to someone and they were talking about coincidence and I'm like, yeah, you know that coincidence that you just had? That might have been God, which is so much fun because it's just like, they don't even realize that it's God's hand that works and we get to point that out to them. We get to say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out, time out. That thing that you're feeling, yeah, that might be God too. That, that which you just experienced, that, that joyful moment, that excitement that you have, that might be God. So when we recognize that God's at work in our own lives, then we can point it out to others. You see, here's the thing. We are called to be a people of hope. We're open to God's work now because we've recognized, there's that word, God at work in our past. How many of you have been in a conversation with someone and they're telling you a story and whatever it is that they said, the word or phrase just triggered something and you're like, oh, 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 wait, 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 let me tell you about... And it's a moment where God did something in your life. You may or may not even recognize it, but you know that there's something truly unique that happened there, and it just resonates with you a little bit. And what they're saying matches up with what you're saying, and and there's this, this moment where you realize that this is God at work. Let me tell you a little story. Um... This just happened yesterday, which is so cool. This is what I like about this. <clears throat> so about six months ago, in our house, our dishwasher stopped working. And for some reason, and I don't fully understand this, the uh, dishwashing fairies didn't show up to take care of the dishes in the house every night. I don't get that, you know? Um, and uh, about probably four or five days ago, um, and we've been talking about a dishwasher and, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, uh, a friend of ours even found one for free and dropped it off, and that didn't work out quite the way that we had hoped. And so we finally just said, okay, my, my poor wife is spending a lot of time doing dishes. And um, it's not that I don't help, it's just my help is not welcome. <laughs> I don't do it. Right. So, it's okay. Um, <laughs> and yes, I have kids, it's true, and they help too, and, but still, it piles up. You know, you just can't keep in front of it. So, um, we finally just said, I think a couple days ago, we're like, okay, we got to solve this problem. We have to solve this problem. And Saturday, we decided we're going to go look for a dishwasher. And for whatever reason, now, I, I, I know this. I, I know this, but I don't necessarily practice it all the time. We're in the car. We're heading out to uh, one of the showrooms, and I just said, maybe we ought to pray about this. <laughs> yeah, right. Novel idea, right? Let's pray about this. It's a dishwasher, right? But dishwashers are expensive, and I don't know about you, but I don't have an extra, you know, three, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. Do you know you can get a dishwasher for a thousand bucks? 
Hello, what? Anyway, so we had kind of uh, this budget in mind, and we said, God, we just, we know we need this. I don't necessarily know where the money's going to come from, but would you help us find one? And uh, I, frankly, I just kind of set that off to the side, and we went to the first store, and we found a couple of good options, but in all three cases, all three cases, with the taxes and with the installation, it was more than our budget. And then we just thought, okay, well, if we have to, we can go over. But we said, let's go to another store. So we did. They didn't have anything there. It happened to be in front of a big box store. And I said to my wife, I said, should we just go into the big box store and just double check something? And, and it was really interesting. She said, said to me, I was going to mention that, but I know that you were kind of adamant about going back to the first store and just getting the problem solved. Well, I kind of was, but she says, now that you mention it, yeah, let's go to the big box store. So we did, and we walked in there, and we found uh, a dishwasher, a much better brand than what we thought we were going to purchase, and uh, I don't know how this happened. I kind of do, but I don't know how this happened. We got free delivery and installation on it. Uh, now, now, wait a minute. How did that, you know, I don't... Uh, turns out the whole thing was like $30 less than what our budget was. And I just thought, I'm like, we prayed, and then it happened, <laughs> Right? And the worst thing we do is not recognize the fact that it was God's hand doing it. I know it's a dishwasher. I understand that. But if God's going to build faith, he's going to build faith in those little things so that you've got it for the big things. He's going to do it in the immediate at some point so that you can have some patience later on to actually wait for it. And I'm going to tell you, it seems like a very trivial example, but for us, it meant everything at that moment in time. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen for everybody. That's where we are in our journey. And you know what? The, the thing of it is, is that we've had lots of experience with God doing some miraculous things and some powerful things in our lives, and yet we forget because we're human beings, right? We do this. When we recognize that God is at work in our, in our past, it's a lot easier for us to point it out to other people. And it gives us hope that when the big things come up or the circumstances in your life that I'm glad are not my problems, but I can have hope for you and carry that burden for you for a little bit. Are you with me? This is the economy of God at, at work. So we're called to be a people of hope, but at the same time, we are also adopted as daughters and sons of God. We actually read about that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. And because we are adopted, there is an inheritance. There is an inheritance. And we recognize God's work. We know that there's a reason for it, because God just doesn't do things arbitrarily. There is a reason for this, um, this work that he's doing. So when we recognize it, we recognize that there's a reason for it. And it really communicates to us that life is going somewhere. 
that there's meaning to all of this. Does that make sense? So if God's not doing something arbitrarily, if he's actually doing something in your life in some small way, dishwashers, or if it has to do with food, or it doesn't matter what it is, whatever it is in your life, if he's doing something in there, that means that there's a reason for it, that he's trying to do something not just um, through you, but also in you. He's trying to develop that relationship that we have with him, and it's going somewhere, and there's meaning to it. And I suspect that the more we experience and recognize God's work, the clearer that meaning becomes. I know that's the case in my life, because here I am, I've been doing this, I don't know, 30-some-odd years. I've been following Jesus various levels and degrees in my lifetime, and and yet, I see the meaning of all it becoming clearer as I get a little bit older, as I have a little more experience with God. And the thing of it is, is that this is not just kind of pie in the sky and the sweet by and by sort of thing. There is power for today that God exercises on our behalf. I love the song that we sing about the Lion of Judah. He's fighting our battles. Right? He's doing this with power. He's exercising that power on our behalf. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he exercises it in the way that we want him to or certainly in the timing that we would prefer. Amen? But the fact of the matter is we know that there is power available, that God supports the people that he loves. And here's the thing. We are not just um, adopted as sons and daughters. We are not just a people of hope. We are also a people of change. And I'm not talking about coercion. We don't coerce people into believing something. We don't strong arm them into, but we invite them to something better. And that's where our constant job is, is to invite people into something better, a different type of relationship, a different way of being human. We invite them into a new type of life, one that I hope is filled with grace and with peace. See what I did there? Talked about last week. Yeah. And if we can have grace and peace despite the turmoil around us, if that's not God, I don't know what it is. Hmm. Recognizing God in my mind is the beginning of living out loud. It's the beginning of living this life out of faith in a very real way. Simply recognizing God is at work simply recognizing his handiwork, his hand, whatever it is. Use your own metaphor. When you begin to see that, that's starting to live out loud because it opens us up the possibilities of more.